0: Thanks for taking the time to listen to these recordings of our Sunday morning sermons. The Door Church is one church in two locations on mission to see lives restored with the gospel for God's glory, and we'd love to have you join us. To learn more about our gatherings in Louisville and Argyle, Texas, visit our website at thedoorchurch.net. Now, let's worship God by opening His Word. My name is Mark McPherson. I'm the student minister here at the Louisville campus, and I, I do want to just double click on Beach Retreat, we've, we've seen crazy rise in our, in our transportation. So if you can, if you're able to help support Beach Retreat uh, by donating, pl- please do at the, the doorchurch.net slash retreat, because every single donation is going to help a student uh, be in a gospel environment where they might actually meet Christ for the first time uh, and be restored. And, and each student who goes is going to be discipled and also uh, be knitted into the eternal family of Christ. I think that's so important that, that if they are to find a relationship with Christ, they are to be brought into the family, and uh, it's a sweet cause. So if you are able to, please, we would love your help and support there. Um, and we love to see these kids knitted into our church, uh, knitted into the body. And that's the beauty of the church, and that's what we're going to be talking about for the next couple of weeks. We're starting a new sermon series called The Beauty of the Church. It's such an amazing thing, the church is. It's a divine institution that God has given us, is where Christ, the cornerstone, gathers his exiles to tend our wounds, to, to, to give us hope, to remind us of the hope that we have, and to ground us in eternal truth. This is the church, and here is where he gathers us and sanctifies us, and then from here he sends us out back into the world to be ambassadors and missionaries. It's the divine institution of the church, and it's a beautiful and powerful and amazing place for his saints. And it's essential for all of those who are believers. And so if you have your Bible, we're going to be in Ephesians today. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. And today the sermon title is called The Beauty of Belonging. The Beauty of Belonging. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 1, we're going to read to verse 6. God's word says this, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And if Paul was a Southern Baptist, he'd say, and in Uh, (laughs) y'all. And this is a lot right there. That's God's word. And so we're going to be learning about the beauty of the church for the next couple of weeks. But today we're going to be thinking about and and just meditating on the beauty of belonging to Christ and his church. And so through uh, Ephesians, Paul has shown us that we need to understand our calling We have to understand our character, and we have to understand our confession, our calling, our character, and our confession. You know, lately I've been listening to a lot of oldies and uh, uh, really just a lot of soul music. I've listened to a lot of Marvin Gaye, uh, and I've been listening to his album, What's Going On? Uh, And it's really this call that he has, uh, probably during the Vietnam War, to really see people united. He wants to see unity, and I've been, you know, there's amazing songs on there, like What's Going On, like, uh, you know, Inner City Blues, but uh, I've been listening to Save the Children. It's something that's been on my heart lately. I I don't know why, I just really love that song, but in Save the Children, he's trying to get the world, he's trying to get our country, he's trying to get the world to be unified in peace, and he, he has this call, and I love these lyrics, he says, who really cares, Who's willing to try to save a world that's destined to die? Now I was thinking about that for us as we start this sermon series, as we start to think about the church, I'm like, man, do we really care? Do we really care? Are we even willing to try to be self-sacrificial, to lay down our lives not only for the world, but for the beauty of those around us, just, just here? Just, just in our church family, are we willing to be self-sacrificial To see unity, to see peace. Is that who we are as a people? Paul is saying here in Ephesians that to have unity, we must understand our calling. We must understand what we've been called to. I love this in uh, verse 1. It says, I therefore, and if there's a therefore, you've got to know why it's therefore. And in verse 20 of chapter 3, it says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, the church, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. Paul is saying, I, therefore, God's going to do an amazing work within us, and I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord. And I just love that title, so stop right there. A prisoner for the Lord. In our worst moments, in our worst days, do we know our calling? Do we know our calling? Are we trusting the calling that God has for us in our worst moments? Do we know what we've been called to? And do we trust them in it? Paul here is saying, oh, I'm a prisoner for the Lord. He's in chains, but yet yeah, he's there for God. Paul understands that his calling is so much greater than his circumstance. Because where he derives his worth in this life has been shifted. Once he met Christ, his worth has been shifted. He doesn't earn it from him being a, a zealous Pharisee, how he described himself earlier. But now he, he finds his worth, even in his worst circumstances, in God. His worth has been shifted, and that's what he's been trying to get the Ephesians to see this whole time. Throughout, throughout Ephesians, he's trying to get the Ephesian church to be unified. And I think that's the same call for us today. He says this in, in chapter 2. He says, you once walked following the course of this world. You once walked as sons of disobedience. That's who you once were. But now in Christ, he's going to say that we have a new direction. We have a new walk a new conduct, a new way to operate. That, that's the way we live, how we walk. And Paul's saying, we are to be walking. In, verse two, he, uh, in chapter 2, he ends and saying, we are to walk in good works, which God has prepared for us. He says that we are to be walking in a manner worthy of our calling. And then in, in chapter 4, he says to be walking in love. In chapter 5, he says to walk as children of light. He's saying we are to look totally different by the way we live, by the way we operate, because we get our value, from Christ and not anything else. Our value is derived because Christ laid down his life for us. We were bought with a price. Our body's not our own. Christ laid down his life for us. And as we see him on the cross, we see his sacrifice with the eyes of our heart. We actually see that he's bestowing worth on us, that he died for us because to him we were worth it. That that is an amazing truth. And when that is where you receive your worth in this life, it will slowly determine your walk. It will change the way you operate. And that's what Paul is saying here in verse 1. He's saying, "This is, I'm a prisoner of the Lord, and now I'm, I'm urging you to walk, urging you to keep in step with the gospel. And that, that word urge, he's pleading, he's begging. It's such a minister's heart. It's really God's heart. I'm urging you to walk this way, to to keep in step with the truth, to have the gospel at the forefront of your minds, to let it be the lens in which you see the world through. And you would constantly be applying it in your life in every single step. That's, That's lordship. That's giving Jesus the lordship of your life. And as the gospel overwhelms you, as the gospel, as he laid down his life for you, gives you worth and it fills you up. That love that is filling you up where your cup overflows, that's where we're actually to live out of. We're actually to live out of that love. It's, it's to understand, like, he suffered for me. The, the king of the universe suffered for me. That I might have new life and as I let that, Overflow as I let that overwhelm me, as I let that just convict me and just fill me with awe. From that place, I walk into suffering, and I'm okay in my suffering, and I have comfort in my suffering. I see that He gave His life for me, He gave everything for me, and as I see that, as I as I see it with the eyes of my heart, it overwhelms me. From there, I, I'm I'm generous because He was so generous to me. As I, as I see that He had a joy to endure the cross. He had a joy to suffer that we might be redeemed. He had a joy to do that. As I see his joy and it overwhelms me, I have joy to endure all things with joy. It's it's his servitude. The Son of Man came to serve, not to be served. His servitude that I see that he served me on the cross, that fills me up. My cup overflows until I serve others. That's that's applying the gospel. That's gospel in life. To live out of that love, to know your calling, and then to move out of it. That's why I love this verse in 1 Peter. It really just speaks identity over the church. This is who we are. In 1 Peter 2:9, it says this: But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. So much identity over you. That's who you are in Christ. What a high calling. He says that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you understand your identity, we proclaim. We proclaim his excellencies. Church, do you you know what you're caught up in? Do you know what this is? We are are partaking in the manifold wisdom of God. God shows his wisdom through us. That's crazy. Ephesians 3.10 says it so beautifully. I love this. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Church, think about that. There there are angels who look down, and they see a redeemed people, and they're, they're floored. These wicked fools are redeemed and they're praising God. They're covered in his righteousness. That's insane. They look down and they marvel. They're like, what in the world? And demons tremble. Demons see us praising God in his victory gathered together, unified for him and him alone, and they tremble. They are shouting the victory of Christ. They understand his gospel. We are caught up in God's displaying his wisdom to the heavenly places. It blows my mind. We're caught up in his glory. And we glorify him by by being a, a, a a a diverse group of people who are displaying his wisdom. That all of us, As different as we are, are all redeemed and forgiven and made new, made alive and united in Christ. That's what we're caught up in. It's an amazing truth. When I first started to understand this here at the Door Church, I remember running around like a crazy, I was was crazy. I was was talking to Weston and Scott and I was like, hey, 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 I need to hold the door. Like, like, get me on the hospitality team. I want to hold the door. And Scott's like, you've worked with kids for 10 years. Why don't you do the student ministry? That would probably fit you best. That's said, no, 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 I need to hold the door like today because someone's going to walk through this door and they're going to think that they're walking into a building. And that's not the case. They're interacting with the body of Christ. This is not a building. It's like no no no. They need to they need to see people at the door. They need to know they're walking into a people. And then like it 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 still thrills me. Like there's only two kinds of people that walk in here. Like, think about that. There's two kinds of people who walk into this building. One is your brother and sister in Christ. And if that doesn't thrill you, I don't know what does. I mean, you are going to stand next to this person in eternity in glory, and now on this side of heaven, we're praising the king. That's exciting. That's my brother and sister. That's exciting. And you know what's even more exciting? It's like you might not ever know Jesus. You you might not have a relationship with Jesus. But if you're walking in here, today might be the day where the spirit is moving and eyes are open. That's exciting. That's what we're caught up in. That's what a Sunday is. This Sunday gathering is a sanctifying moment for us, church. As a body, we are getting to lift up the king to show the excellencies of him, to proclaim the excellencies of him. That's what we get to get caught up in. That's what what we're called to. And each Sunday, we are reminded that we are called to him by himself. He has called us, and it's by his grace. It's an amazing thing. We get to be his, his heralds, to proclaim his excellencies, When I was a kid, I used to like this one comic character. His name was the Silver Surfer. He was a bad man pajama. Dude was covered in silver. He had a surfboard, and he he would fly through space. And, you know, not even the deepest cold or the hottest hot could affect him. And uh, the Silver Surfer has an amazing origin story. It's really based off the gospel, which is pretty interesting. There's a Marvel god-like character named Galactus. And Galactus, uh, uh, he he has this man in his hand named Norm Rad, and he's holding him in his hand, and he says he's going to endow him with a power cosmic. This is really cool. I just love the way they say that. And it's written by this guy named Jack Kirby. Jack Kirby was a, uh, was a Jewish man who, who lived through the Holocaust or fought, fought in World War II. Uh, he didn't go to the Holocaust. He, he fought in World War II, but he was a man of faith and he came to Christ. And as he read the, the Gospels, he began to create this character. And, and the silver surfer, um, his real name was Norrin Rad. And when Galactus has him in his hand, and he's giving him this power, he uses these words, and it's, it's, it's borderline scripture. He says to Norrin Rad, he says, Norrin Rand exists no more. You are newborn, my herald. Even your mind is a new page in which I write. And church, that's what we get to be. That's what we're called to. We're newborn. And through us, we get to represent God. We get to be his herald. Here, we're sanctified. And here is where he writes on our hearts and changes us when we see our worth comes from him and him alone, when we understand our calling. And Paul is so beautifully illustrating how he is walking worthy. Paul is illustrating it first and foremost. He's in chains. He does not consider himself a prisoner of Rome, but he's a prisoner for the Lord. He understands his calling. And what he's been trying to speak to the Jews and the Gentiles is like, you guys think you're separate. But Christ has come to, to destroy the dividing wall. He's came to destroy the hostility. You, are, you, you think you're two men, but you're not. And church, what he's calling us today is understand our calling, that through, through, through sacrificial obedience, as we, as we come together, as we obey him, as we come together through sacrificing our own preferences, and we start to see each other as different, we begin to sacrifice and understand we have a common calling that unites us all. We've all been called by him. We all have a common experience of his grace. And that here in the church, we would be just like the Ephesian church. We'd be one new man, united by our calling. And as we're united by our calling, it will shape us. It will change us. Sunday is a sanctifying moment. It's going to shape our very character and our conduct. The church is a supernatural gift given by God. It's a gift that's given to us. We, the church is not anything that man has made. Like, this is not Scott's church. It's not the elder's church. This is, not, this is not anybody man-made church. This is God's church that's given to us. And in the same way that the church is given, our conduct, the way that we operate, our character must also be given supernaturally by the work of the Spirit, how we behave, our conduct here must actually be given to us. Look what it says in verses two to three. It says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. It's in the Spirit that any of that is even possible. It's only by the Spirit of God. In my reading plan this week, I was reading through 2 Timothy 3, and this is a beautiful description of us without the Spirit. It says this, For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, Not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. Church, that's us without the Spirit. That is us without the Spirit. That is myself without the Spirit. And I think what's super scary about that is that it says they have the appearance of godliness. They're faking it. There's, th- this can never be a place where you fake it till you make it. It's by the Spirit of God that this is actually even possible. It's only by the Spirit of God that we can actually walk in a worthy manner. To walk in humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, that's accepting one another in love, and maintaining peace is a tall task because it's actually to look like Christ. That is a tall task to take on the character of God. And if we try to do it by ourselves, we will only dishonor Him. It's only by the Spirit of God that we can ever do this. This list of characteristics is not a to-do list for us to do while we're here. This is who we are to be. This is who God is to shape us. This is our character molded by the Spirit of God. This is to be our character. And out of our character comes our our, our conduct. I tell our students all the time, it's not what you do, it's who you be. It's who you are. And that has to be molded by the Spirit of God. On our own, we are lovers of self. We are swollen with conceit. And Paul is urging us here to walk in humility. Humility. Tim Keller has an amazing uh, description of gospel humility. It's this gospel humility is not thinking more or less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. To be other people focused, to not even be thinking of ourselves, to walk looking at others first. That only happens by the Spirit of God. In our flesh, we are lovers of self. In our flesh, we are swollen with conceit. Paul's urging us to walk in gentleness. In our flesh, we're brutal. In our flesh, we are reckless. I know this. I can be this way so many times with my words. I put my foot in my mouth all the time. But by the Spirit of God, we can reflect Christ's gentleness. Pastor Drayton says this all the time. I love this description of gentleness. It's to have tough skin because we know who we are in Christ so we can take it we could take the slander we could take people calling us names we could take the persecution we should have tough skin as Christians but we are to have soft hearts a heart that is open to sympathy and empathy to a broken world to sympathize and empathize with the person who you think is sitting across from you in the in the, in the opposite direction on whatever topic it is we're so divided nowadays in such so, so simple topics, but can you have empathy and sympathy for someone who sits across the aisle from you, especially within the body of Christ? Can we be sympathetic? Can we be empathetic? Can we have soft hearts and be a gentle people? And, 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 and men, I just want to say this too, like we hear a lot of time on our social media that we need to be men and we need to be alphas. It's like whatever happened to gentlemen, You got to be gentle to be a gentleman. We need to reflect this character, but not because of our own doing, not with our own hands, not with white knuckles, by allowing the Spirit of God to flow through us. We are to be people who are, are, are patient. Patient. I feel like this is all this convicts me so much. It's like, Lord, give me some patience right now. I need patience right now I feel like uh you know Barucha from Willy Wonka I want it now I need it now I I feel this because Christ Christ the Bible says that love is patient and that's how I know I'm not loving someone well I'm I'm very much uh, a learner and I want to see people grow and so when people aren't growing I'm like you need to know this right now you need to know it right now but church there's going to be people who come to know Christ but they're just not growing the same way you are they're not, they, they might not be in the same season you are. We need to give those people patience. We hold people to this standard. It's like, oh, just give us some time. We need to be patience, patient with others because Christ was so patient with us. We need to be a people who are accepting in love. You know, the Bible says love covers a multitude of sins. Sometimes you won't agree with people. Can you still accept them? Can you still love them? Can we? I love how Paul says it says bearing with one another in love. When I hear bearing with one another in love, I'm thinking that's my wife. She bears with me. Bless her heart. She's being sanctified all the time. She's got to deal with me and all my all my dumbness. She's got to. She's every time I I, I'm like I don't want to do numbers and taxes and bills and she's got to bear with me. And all of my laziness when I don't want to get off the couch, when I don't want to go for a walk around the block, like the, the, she's got to bear with me. She has to bear with all of my jazz records and all my Joni Mitchell and all that annoying music I play in the house. She bears with me. She's being sanctified all the time. That's acceptance in love. She's bearing with me. That's what we are to be in the church. As we don't agree, as as we have different opinions about one another, we are to be accepting in love. That happens by the Spirit of God. We are to be a people that's maintaining unity. I love, I love how this is written. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. It's maintenance. We don't have a unity built on ourselves. We did not bring a unity here. That's not our doing. Paul is like, and I, and I love that the Holy Spirit has to jump in at this point. He's like, and I'm, I'm gonna be here for this, for the maintenance, to maintain the unity of the bond of peace. God's keeping it real. He's like, you guys want peace? I'm going to have to be there. Just to maintain it, just to maintain a spirit of peace is maintenance. I think we think of maintenance and we're like, "It's, it's a chore. Maintenance is something that needs to happen, and we all stink at it. We hate brushing our teeth. We hate. We hate working out. We hate maintenance. We hate maintenance. But it's so important that the Spirit of God will fuel us to maintain the peace that we have within the body of Christ. And the only way that any of these characteristics are going to move into our very character in which our conduct will flow out of is if we have the gospel presented to us. That Christ at his cross, as we see him high and lifted up, It would change us, the spirit would mold us, it would edify us. And from there, our conduct would come. I think of the best verse to try to sum up all of these, these amazing qualities is Romans 5.8. We see in Romans 5.8 that Christ has all these qualities for us. God shows his love for us that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Do you see his humility? That the king of the universe would be humble enough to die on a cross. Do you see his gentleness? That the Alpha and the Omega was pierced for our transgression. He was opened. Do you see his patience? That verse to me screams patience. That while we were sinners, Christ so died for us. I think of my mom. Like my mom's like, while Mark was an idiot, I put a a house over his head, a roof over his head. It's like God was so patient with us. He's so patient. While we were sinners, he died for us. You see his acceptance and love, that he died for us, that we might be accepted into his family. He took our place. He covers us in his righteousness, that we might be brought in. That on the cross, he displays not only that he wants to maintain the unity, but he wants to restore it. He wants to reconcile us to the Father. He's all about unity. He's uniting us with him. He's not only maintaining the unity, but he's restoring it. He's reconciling us to the Father. It's through the gospel and looking at him, at Christ crucified, do any of these characteristics start to move in our hearts and mold us and shape us, and out of that, that that's how we love one another in the church. But it's only by looking at the truth and looking at the gospel It's the Spirit of God that molds our character. Until until we look at the gospel, we will not have a supernatural conduct. And that's what the church is to be. A supernatural gift with people moving in supernatural ways. And it it looks like this. It looks like renouncing our self-centeredness, that we might walk in humility. It looks like renouncing harshness, that we might be gentle. It looks like renouncing control, Being a tyrant and saying, I want it my way. Renouncing that and walking in patience. It looks like renouncing expectations on other believers. To let down the the, the, the expectations and accept them in love. It looks like renouncing our passivity, sitting on the sidelines because we need to actually maintain the unity, maintain the unity. This is only available by the Spirit of God. There's a kid's movie called Ratatouille, where this tall glass of water named Linguini, he's, he's in Paris, he's like a busboy, but he lets this rat jump in his hat, and the rat moves him around, and he becomes an amazing chef. Man, that, that's like the Holy Spirit working in us. We just gotta be available. We just got to be available. And through that, what amazing things God could do. What amazing things God could do if the Spirit was just able, if you were just willing, if you just let the gospel mold you, what amazing things God could do in his body. Oh, it's incredible. The church is unified and God is glorified when we live with such Christ-like conduct. And that only comes through having one confession. One confession. I love this. Verses 4 through 6. It says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. One. Do you see the beauty of the church? Do you see the beauty of belonging to Christ Jesus and belonging to his body? The beauty is in unity. The beauty is in the oneness that we have became, we are one That whatever divides us has been destroyed. The hostility is destroyed. We have oneness. We're one new man. Paul lists seven, seven one statements. And he's saying, this is why we're united. This is why God shows his manifold wisdom through us. This and not anything else. Not morality, not what we think about, uh, you know, what kind of service we have. it's, It's only through this. It's only this. Nothing else. He's emphasizing that we have oneness in Christ alone. We have one body, that we have a common existence in Christ. Yes, we're diverse. Yes, there's different denominations, but there's only one kind of Christian that's born again. We are born again Christians belonging to one body. We are united as one, one body. We have one spirit, the same spirit that brought you from death to life, brought someone in the body from death to life. We have a common origin. The same spirit that brought us to life is going to bring us together and it's only by the spirit that we will be empowered to be united. We have one hope. One hope that Christ came and died for us and bore our sin and rose from the grave and defeated sin, sin, Satan, and death on our behalf. And we have eternal life. That's our one hope. That's our one truth. That's our one certainty. And that hope That biblical hope is going to stir in your heart and and move. It's going to seep into the way that you walk. It's going to shape your life. It's going to shape the way you walk. One hope. We have one Lord. That is Jesus Christ who laid it down for me. Who laid it down for all of us. Whose blood covers me. His righteousness covers me. I have one Lord. We have one Lord. And Paul is saying that's something we confess he is Lord over our lives, and that's going to that's actually be difficult in the way that we live in our world. Think about what Paul is saying. One Lord will get you murdered in, in the Roman times. One Lord separates him from his Jewish culture. Yeah, it's going to be difficult, but we have one Lord. One Lord, Christ Jesus. We have one faith, that we are saved by faith alone, in Christ alone, in his work. One faith. And as we come together under the word of God, we are to embrace the essential Christian truths together and let it mold us and change us. We have one baptism, one moment in which we all identify ourselves with Christ Jesus together. To go public with our faith, your relationship with Christ is personal, but it's not private. And we are to to be a people that edifies each other through it. You're going to give glory to God in your baptism, but you're also going to sanctify the church. We have one baptism, and we have one God and Father. One God, one Father. We have the same Father. In Christ, you're my brother from another mother, but you still have the same Father. One Father. Adopted children, we're adopted children. We all have access to the King. We have access. We can go to him. We can boldly walk into his throne room. That is amazing. We have one father. We're one big family. That is a supernatural gift. That's a supernatural unity that Paul is displaying. These are our truths. This is our confession. This is supernatural. It's almost too good to be true. And if I'm being honest, every single church should split up. It should should crash and burn. Every single marriage should, should crash and burn. Why, because when sinners look at one another, they see sin and they get mad and they have drama and things fall out and people separate. But it's by the Spirit of God, it's by the Spirit through the Son that we have unity. It says this in Ephesians 5 verse 25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. It's through his sacrifice that we are unified. By his love for us, that he gave himself for us, it's through that love in which we walk out, into our world, into our marriages, into our church, not looking at one another, but looking to Christ and Christ alone, walking shoulder to shoulder to Christ, it's through the gospel that we begin to be melted and molded and sanctified in the image of Christ. It's only by looking at our true husband who died for his bride. He died for his church. It's only at looking at him will the church be unified and sanctified. I want, I want to tell Marvin, I want to tell him, Christ was willing. He was willing. He was willing to die to save the sinners like us. To save a world that was destined to die, it was him who was willing. It was him who laid down his life that we might have peace. In church, we are called to, to proclaim the excellencies. We are called to proclaim His excellencies. John 17:21 says this: "This is Jesus' words, that they may all be one, just as you, Father are in me, I and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me." That's the beauty of the church. That's the beauty of belonging. Let's pray. Father God, you are good and you are holy and mighty and you sent your son that we might have new life, that we might be transformed, that we might be restored and renewed. And God, I just pray that your spirit would come, that your will would be done here in our church and that, that your kingdom would be built through us and in us. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be stirring in our hearts to see that you laid it all down for us. And I pray that it would shape and mold us. Help us understand our calling. God, and through that, I pray that you'd mold our character. And as we see you with the eyes of our hearts, Father, I pray that in this moment, we'd have a time and a space to reflect on our confession. As we sing your truth, let it shape us let it sanctify us. God, thank you for your church. Thank you for my brothers and sisters in which you have redeemed. God, I pray that you would knock on the hearts of those who haven't felt your redemption and let them be brought to life, the only life in Christ. And in His name we pray. Amen.